0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This
1: is going to sort of be a little bit different. I know this is going to be a more personal conversation, which I that's what I'm excited for and also nervous for. So, at the same time, but yeah...
2: Hey everyone! Thank you for coming to hang out with me on Repin. This is Evelyn, and I'm your host. I want to just start and say Happy Chinese New Year, Gong Hei Fa Choi, to everyone out there, and also a big hello and thank you to the listeners in China, Germany, Australia canada taiwan korea the uk especially those in manchester and to all of the listeners around the world i want you to know i see and appreciate you it really has been such a terrific experience to have the opportunity to speak with some incredible people they've all come on to openly share their experiences with you i am always blown away And humbled by the courage and heart it takes to be so open and vulnerable, especially when you're doing it so publicly, as my guests do. My conversation with my next guest certainly falls into this category. She's a popular actress of Chinese and Portuguese descent. Her credits include Guillermo del Toro's FXS series, The Strain, Global TV's Private Eyes, starring opposite Jason Priestley, HBO and Cinemax's series, Jet and season one and two of the YouTube premium series, Impulse, created by Doug Lyman. Currently, you can see her as Jackie Veda in the hit Netflix series, Lock and Key. With this list of accomplishments in Hollywood, you may find it hard to believe that she ever struggled with her identity, her appearance, and how the lack of representation impacted her when she was growing up. You're going to hear if she was able to mitigate this pain, and how she's doing today. Sit back and listen in on this personal, powerful, and emotional conversation with the amazing Genevieve Kang. Genevieve, how are you? It is so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to start our conversation. But how are you doing these days?
1: I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm getting by. It's been a, it's been a, an interesting past couple years, as it has for everybody, I think. But uh, yeah, I'd say today I'm doing well.
2: Good. I'm really happy that you made the time to come here. Now, you are on a huge hit series, Netflix, Lock and Key. Congratulations on that. Tell me a little bit about the premise of the series and your character, Jackie Veda. Like, what kind of woman is she? Because I know she's not very shy. She's not afraid of confrontation. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. So Lock and Key is a series based on the graphic novels by Joe Hill. And it follows the story of the Locke family, and the the Locke siblings, who after the tragic murder of their father, move into the father's ancestral home. And upon doing so, they discover a number of keys that have these magical powers Mm -hmm. and allow them to have different abilities. They quickly learn is that there's also a demon that is searching for these same keys and I play Jackie. She is, in a lot of ways, the girl next door. Mm -hmm. She's also an overachiever, very ambitious. In the first season in particular, second season too, but in the first season in particular, when we were establishing who she was, she's very much the moral compass of the story in that, yeah, kind of keeping things orderly amidst the chaos. She very much tries to see the best in people um, It is one of her, her strong traits, I think. Another strong trait, however, is that she also, like you said, isn't afraid to basically call people out on her shit. So um, as she does, as we see in the as series. As she does, yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: I kind of love her. I love that she's so direct. So you are mixed race. Your dad is Chinese. Your mom is Portuguese. When you have a show like this that obviously caters to a younger audience... Can you talk about the importance of having your character or having you portray Jackie? Can you talk a little bit about the importance of diversity in a show like Lock and Key?
1: Yeah. You know, growing up, I didn't see myself represented on screen. So I think I can take it back to to that time when I, like truly, and and the more I, I think about it, and because now I'm on screen and getting to represent what I didn't see represented, it's become even more profound to me. Just, Oh wow. Yeah. Like I really grew up and I'm, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. And then as I got older, you know, started to see a little bit more here and there, but it was, you know, we were being portrayed as stereotypes or tropes made fun of the butt of a joke. So yeah, it means a lot. And it means a lot being on a platform like Netflix that has such a huge reach and, um, you know, I'm, unfortunately, I, I can't respond to every single fan who reaches out, but I do get a lot of messages and it's super lovely about not just young people, but like people, my, I'm in my thirties now and people, my age who are again, reaching. out. be just like, it's so exciting to see someone like you on a show like Lock and Key because I just, I, I didn't have that growing up. And, uh, so it feels really substantial and impactful just to be a small part of that.
2: Let's back this up because this is an audio platform. Mm-hmm. People can't see you unless they Google you. But describe what you look like so people can kind of um, get a sense of your physicality.
1: Yeah, I love this question because I don't, no one, you don't usually get this question. Um, so it's just so interesting to be like, okay, how am I going to describe what I look like? I am five foot three mm-hmm. as Eveline mentioned, my dad is Chinese, my mom's Portuguese. I have long brown hair, like chestnut brown hair. You can
2: <laughs> be white passing, I think.
1: Oh, 100%. And that's, a, yeah, absolutely. I agree, which is also another interesting
2: dynamic, which we're going to get, get into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing with me is like, okay, so I agree with you when I was growing up and I'm a, I'm a wee bit older than you. I didn't see anyone that looked like me. And I've said many, many times I wasn't sure that entertainment was a place for me. Now with you, you're getting messages from people that say, oh my God, like the exposure and the reach that Netflix and Lock and Key have. Can you share one um, message that really struck you where you realize that the work you're doing and just being the person you are is resonating with someone out there and you've perhaps lessened or even eliminated the lack of representation that you and I have experienced when we were younger
1: mm-hmm. I can't think of a specific message I've received but I it what you're saying really makes me think of it's interesting because I act as much as I didn't see myself represented on screen growing up that's not the reason I, I started like I wanted to get into acting or, oh, or no, I know yeah. this business and so it's but it's really fascinating because I, I get asked that quite a bit. I'm just like, is that why you want? I'm just like, no, but it is now, like now moving forward. Right. This is what's driving me for sure. And to tell like stories that best represent people of color and just more diversity.
2: Well, you can do both at the same time. I mean, you are talented. You love the craft of acting, but you can do all of these things for you. When, when was that moment that you realized, wow, what I'm doing is obviously what you love. But it is changing someone else's reality in life. Yeah. You realize that, right? hmm How does that hit you?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I think of, like, my younger self and that even now, that inner child, like, like healing parts of myself that, because of not seeing yourself represented in the media, for me at least, I really struggled then to um, accept parts of myself and seeing, you know, just for an example, just seeing a lot of Caucasian characters right. portrayed on screen and wanting to then fit that mold because like, oh, well, that seems to be what's more widely accepted. And then it's not just on television, but in...
2: Everywhere, <laughs> you
1: know, everywhere. Everywhere, exactly. Yeah. So it's substantial. And it, it does make me feel a responsibility to kind of continue, continue carrying that torch a little bit because it is having such a positive impact on so many people.
2: Tell me a little bit about when you were growing up. Um, what your upbringing was like. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, even just in this conversation about like how Caucasian was sort of the default of what is accepted. Um, Not just even accepted, like that was the dominant, (laughs) you know, like you want, that was the ideal person. Barbies were all blonde and blue eyed. And so tell me a little bit about your upbringing and what that was like. And when you realized that you were mixed race, did it, did it help that you were able to, I guess, fit in many categories or I don't even know if that's true. So let me know what it was like. Yeah,
1: So I grew up in a smaller city in the interior of British Columbia that um, from, if I remember correctly, was predominantly white. It's interesting because I feel like being of mixed race just felt so normal to me and my siblings and my family. I have three older siblings. And um, I feel like my parents did a really great job at exposing us to both cultures equally. And, and yeah, it just it just felt like this is who we are. So it wasn't really in question. I guess until I got a little bit older and in certain experiences that I I now again, like reflect back on and I think, wow, I, I kind of dismissed that experience as being anything that was maybe borderline traumatic or, you know, going to affect me in some way later down the road. But yeah, I guess just in terms of, you know, showing up to like on my dad's side, he has five younger siblings, and they all have Asian partners. And so on that side, all my, my like 30 cousins on that side, they're all full Asian. And then you got us four kids coming to this huge family, like dinner or something. And we just look, we don't quite fit with everyone else. And right. then on my mom's side, same but different. Right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I can speak to a few specific experiences, though, where, or as you were saying, where like, I really, I really desired the ideal. I really desired to lean into my whiteness. Okay. Because I feel like at a very young age, and again, I can't pinpoint the exact point in time, but there was like a number of experiences and, and over a period of time where I, it became very clear to me that, oh, being white means you get more stuff. Like people love you. Right. <laughs> you, you're accepted, you're loved, you belong you're more desirable.
2: Like that door is wide open and it's always been wide open. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. So (laughs) in uh, in being part Caucasian, I was like, cool, I'm going to lean more into this. In doing so, I very much, and this is only something I've really, really realized and sat with and working on accepting or working through rather, um, is that I, I really rejected my Asian culture in leaning more into the whiteness. Because I right. was like, well, I'm going to go over here where people are just more accepted and, and likable, apparently. Right. And yeah, I, it, it truly is only in the past few years that I've really sat down and seriously looked at and, and tried to now heal those parts of where I, I rejected um, my Asianness.
2: Well, you know, just to clarify, and and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please, you know, clear it up for me, too, because I Mm -hmm. had a similar experience. I'm not mixed, and I am um, 100% um, Asian, Cantonese, Chinese, to be specific. You know, quote-unquote rejecting your Asian parts isn't because you didn't love your Asian parts. It is because you wanted to assimilate and to... Fit in, and when the door is so wide open for um, a, um, a community that is perceived as the ideal, uh, which in this case is white, it is a community or race that inherently has more opportunities. Now, let me be clear: I am not saying that Caucasian people don't have hardships or have to work really hard. All I'm saying is is that the group of people who are in this category have more opportunities. So please people don't troll me. My, I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm just saying there are more options and it's easier to fit in and to assimilate. So am I correct to just clarify for you as well that it's not that you hated being Chinese. It's just like you saw way more opportunities and privileges.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Okay, cool. So, having said that, when you initially sort of went through that phase, how did that sort of lens how you were as a person? Now, I know that this is, an, uh, you were a kid back then. Um, and that's the other thing is, you know, I think as humans, regardless of what age you are, everyone wants to fit in. No one wants to be the odd duck. Yeah. What did you wrestle with then? And how did you, I know you said recently, how did you start to recently sort of become aware of this? And how are you reconciling it?
1: Yeah, so when I was younger, I had this this experience that's burned into my memory. I I was about 8 years old and I was on a I played soccer and um there was a girl on my soccer team and her name was Ashley. And I also have this thing with my name. So my parents named me Genevieve, not after anyone. They just loved the name. It is a great name. I love the name now. It's a beautiful name. Yeah. Growing up, I hated the name. I hated it because everywhere I went, people didn't know how to pronounce it, didn't know how to spell it. They thought it was like three different words. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm and, I'm with you with a name like Evelyn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: All <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And so I just, but I remember this girl, Ashley, on my soccer team. And already I was eight. I was feeling... I I felt, like, very awkward in my body, I think, like, all growing up. I just didn't feel very comfortable, and I just remember seeing her one day with, like, everyone on the soccer team surrounded surrounding her, and she just had this, like, thing about her where I was just like, oh, my God, everyone thinks that Ashley is so cool. And, of course, Ashley was the complete opposite of me. She was blonde and blue-eyed, and so I was just like, okay, yeah. For me to be, like – lovable, desirable for people who want to hang out with me um and and just yeah, have that acceptance and belonging. I need to be like Ashley. And uh I never went so far as to like ask my parents if I could dye my hair blonde or anything like that. I have heard stories of that though. But I do remember going home that day and and like really inspecting my face in the mirror. That was probably the first time that I like really Ugh, I'm getting emotional, but um, I like really picked apart the way I looked,
2: oh, and I love
1: you. it was like, and like so I saying when I was saying how like I felt so not comfortable in my body, it was also like it was a lot of had to do with my face, and again facial features coming from both of my parents, yep. and just like literally everything being wrong about it, like my lips are too big and red, my nose is too big. My eyes are too small. Mm-hmm.
2: I have no nose bridge.
1: Right, right.
2: Good luck right. finding a pair of sunglasses. Glasses. Yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> still having that
2: problem. I'm not kidding you. Every pair of sunglasses I put on, they're sliding off my face. So I hear you, but it's tough. You're you're really scrutinizing your physical being, and
1: unfortunately, it's your face. Yeah.
2: So what happened?
1: A couple things happened at that time. I, I was having like a bit of an identity crisis. So I. Basically, really admired this girl, Ashley, and wanted to be her to the point of where I um, I used to play, you know, as kids do, like you play school or house or whatever it is, make believe. I had a general store that I ran and, <laughs> and I play in this general store for hours by myself. And I would made signs for the general store and it was called Ashley's Store. And I don't know what my parents were thinking at this point. <laughs> I just, just like the name Ashley or what.
2: Right, right. But
1: I, I truly was like, it, as much as I can do to like feel into this essence that Ashley is representing for me. There's another funny thing that I just thought of the other day, actually. I became fascinated with Martha Stewart at a very young age also. Okay. <laughs> it's just like a random thing. But And I think it had a lot to do with her homemaking abilities. Like I just love she cooks and, and just like keeps the home so nicely. It was a whole other thing. But this occurred to me the other day that I was just like, oh my gosh. But Martha Stewart is also like a grown-up Ashley. She's a blonde, blue-eyed woman with all this privilege. <laughs> and do you want to say something? With all this privilege and opportunity and yes, and here I am at, at like, again, I was like 8, 9, 10, 11. I was obsessed with her. Like I would watch Martha Stewart living. She had this TV show. I'd watch it every day. I I think it was now that I get fucked back on it. I'm like, I think I... Because she was a part of that Ashley complex for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, to talk about more recently kind of what's um, come up for me and made me realize where I rejected parts of my Asianness growing up and everything. It was actually, you know, in the past couple of years with all the catastrophic stuff happening in the Asian community or towards the Asian community. Right. I found myself um, about a year ago. When was it? It was... Oh gosh, where are we? Earlier this year, it was um, the the incidences in Atlanta.
2: Yeah, the shootings at the Atlanta spas.
1: I found myself in like a dark hole of grief, hearing about um, those incidences, and um, that's when I re- really realized how far I had gone in terms of rejecting um, that part of me. Right and not being proud of it mm-hmm. because I was just like, wow, here I am. I'm mourning for this community. Um, and I'm a very empathetic person, but it went like it hit harder because there was also like, Oh, it was built on guilt, like my own guilt and shame. Right. Um, and how I'd like, yeah, really abandoned those parts of me. That's
2: really hard. That's really painful. Yeah. And I can see it on your face as well. But you know, again, I want to emphasize both cause I'm sitting here listening to you. This is, again, all driven by just a basic human need of acceptance. This is not about like you just saying, I hate being Chinese because I hate being Chinese. I'll even challenge you. I don't even think it's you're rejecting being Asian. I think you were just starved to belong and to be validated and to have opportunities. When the entire world presents an idea of what is better or dominant uh, or leans heavily towards one way in terms of be it a job, a, a car, a skin color, a gender, whatever, and they have more opportunities, human nature just says you want that. You know what I mean? I don't think it's actively rejecting.
0: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true
2: stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I had a similar experience. I asked my mom if I can get a nose job at like six. Because I didn't see anyone that looked like me, I didn't have blonde hair. I think it's for the same reasons. So I'm kind of defending both of our younger selves right now.. Mm-hmm. I want to just slow it down a little bit. When you were going through the Ashley phase. <laughs> I love that. <this. laughs> which is funny that you're saying the Ashley phase, but I really get that when you say it, because I went through a similar experience, so I really get that that's a clear snapshot of what she represented to you. In terms of stereotype at the time. So we're not banging on anyone named Ashley, guys. No. <laughs> it's a lovely name. We, we all wanted it here. Evelyn and Genevieve here. Exactly. Two people who no one could spell their names or say it. <laughs> By the way, we both have very white names.
1: Yeah. A lot of people think I'm French and I'm yes. not. Yeah, A lot of
2: people think I'm 80 because it <laughs> <Evelyn laughs> sounds like an 80-year-old name. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Now that you're sort of older, and with that, you have more life experience, and, you know, you're much more aware of many things, one being how the world can work and how it can inform us. You talked about when you were younger, how you struggled with your physicality. How are you transforming that? How are you drawing your strength from that now? Because you talked about wrestling with guilt, which is so hard, and shame. Yeah, those two are a pretty powerful combo frankly?
1: Yeah, truthfully, it's a lot of therapy. And not for these particular reasons, but then it certainly came up in therapy. Uh, And uh, yeah, if I'm being honest, I just I do just a lot of my own personal inner work. I do a lot of deep meditations where I get to go in basically into these meditations. And for lack of better wording, like reprogram experiences I had as a kid some of these words are becoming a little bit more mainstream a little bit more in the woo-woo world but more mainstream as well of like reparenting yourself and being able to like soothe parts of me that like wounds from childhood uh including these these guilty parts of where it's like oh I'm gonna like lean more into this but then in a way I'm like abandoning parts of myself here or what have you I feel like I've done a lot of work there and continue to as a result I think of that inner work it's directed me towards wanting to connect with like connect back to in like on the conscious plane connect back to my family and my culture and where i come from and both sides my only living grandparent is my Portuguese grandmother and i don't get to see her often and it's harder and harder to communicate with her because her hearing's going and it's hard to you know you call her up and it's just it's not the best conversation her english isn't her first language so but i i still feel like very drawn to I need to connect with her as much as possible while she's still here and, and to learn. Like, because as a kid, I also just like, I think as kids, we, we, we can do just like, ah, I don't care about that kind of stuff. And then with my parents, I've asked more questions about my background and upbringing in the past couple of years. And again, we can equate it to also just what's been happening in the world perhaps, but just I've asked more questions about basically where I come from in the past two years than I have, in then like all other years previously, and just brought up certain topics with my parents that I also, again, like my family, we don't really talk about feelings and emotions and these more sensitive topics. Like, why would you talk about that? No, we don't need to go there. Just like get on in life. And that's like both sides. Listen, that's
2: cultural. Yeah. A lot of that is cultural.
1: Yeah. It's certainly cultural in terms of my Chinese heritage. And then on my mom's side, she moved to Canada from Port. Goal with her family when she was like six years old. And so it's also that immigrant mentality. So even though yes. my dad's been in Canada, his family's been here for many years, but, um, so the immigrant mentality of just like, no, just like do hard work. And just like, we don't have time for feelings. <laughs> like, power through, power through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, why are you sad today? Just get on with it. What is yeah, therapy?
2: So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, generally speaking, many immigrant groups don't go to therapy. So I'm happy to hear that you went and got what you needed to get for you, even though therapy isn't something that is, you know, culturally ingrained. And now at this point, how are you drawing strength from your mixed background? And I think it's great that you're reconnecting with your history too, because I think that's the number one way to kind of inform yourself of where you came from is it does shape who you are.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm just like like you like you said, yeah, I'm I'm reconnecting to my history and I guess things that I thought as a kid I either just like took for granted, dismissed in terms of my my ancestry or my my heritage and just even like cultural traditions and these kinds of things. I'm reconnecting with certain like with them and then also kind of picking and choosing what really resonates with me or are, are maybe traditions that I want to carry forward. And then instead of dismissing them or taking them for granted, I'm celebrating them. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is actually a really cool thing. It's like, I'm in like, I'm taking a class for all this stuff now, all of a sudden. And it feels a little bit silly too, that it's taking me this long to appreciate, but I imagine a number of people like adults can relate to that. We, we often take things for granted as kids. And I don't know if we want to get like really specific though. I love to cook. And so I also have a background in holistic nutrition and I've been like, I I've been learning more about like traditional Chinese medicine. And I've always found it a little, it, it was fascinating, but more so now just like Eastern modalities and and go figure, a lot of them really, um, my body responds really well to a lot of like Eastern medicine and. You
2: know, I obviously still have issues with the whole features thing and I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. But talking to other Asian people, hearing the stories, it's helped me a lot. And I'll say that I have never been made more aware of my ethnicity and that I am a person of color than in the last few years. I've really see how the world sees me. Yeah. But getting to talk to people like you has really, really helped me sort of reconnect. How have you quieted some of that guilt and shame at this point?
1: Yeah. Similar reasons to you. I think having conversations and sharing about the shame that I've felt is like the best way to help um, heal and mitigate some of that. Not letting the shame be hidden anymore has really helped me. And that's with other people of color. Did you ever see yourself as a person of color? No, not really. That's what I mean. Like growing up, it was just like so normal. Like, oh yeah, my dad's Chinese. My mom's Portuguese. Like, it just, yeah, we just so were. Normal. Exactly. We would just were. And like, again, I had a conversation with my parents recently and my mom really like stands true to it. She's just like, we didn't see, like, you guys are just our kids. And I was like, yeah, I get it. But you also have to understand how, like, <laughs> we are different. And bless my mom, I love her. But uh, I mean, again, we were, we we're just, to her, we are her children. Yeah, it wasn't until, I guess, I don't know, maybe even when I got to high school that it started becoming more and more apparent. Or certainly when I went to university, so I studied, um, I moved to Toron- uh, Toronto right after high school. And uh, Toronto is just much more diverse. So it's interesting because when I went to go study there, I felt I felt very much at home in a lot of ways, just because there was just more people of color. I was like, "Wow, this is like really cool." Maybe more in university, where I I definitely started getting questioned more, like me specifically, mm. as opposed to like I guess maybe when I was a kid, and my I don't know, someone would ask like my parents what I was mixed with or something. But that lovely question of "What are you?" Yes, where are you from? And it's like uh, Canada. <laughs> like, and the, yeah. the what are you? I like in recent years, I've just I've just I'm just like, I am a lot of things. Thank you.
2: I I wonder if that's just a question that's universal because I'm not mixed and I get that all the time. There have been so many times I've been in the back of a cab at like three in the morning coming home from work, exhausted, and I have headphones in, which is a universal sign of don't talk to me.
1: Right. (laughs) You
2: know what I mean? Like I'm really tired. Inevitably, I'll start seeing the driver start glancing in the back rearview mirror and I'm like, here we go. Are you Japanese? No are you Korean? No. It's like, what about this conversation? Am I encouraging that? What are you question is so exhausting. Yeah. Now, are you okay with how you look and where are you in your sort of process? And how are you feeling?
1: It's still very much a work in progress. Um, Yeah. There are some days that it's, it's easier than others. And, I, and a lot of that, though, comes because of the industry I'm in. So when I am reading scripts and going out for certain roles, I am often faced with the, the fun of I'm not white enough or I'm not Asian enough. And so that's an interesting thing in being mixed that I get to, to play with. <laughs> and that's where like I might have a bad day. is where I'm just like, oh, it's because I, I like... I don't look white enough today or in this audition tape, I look too Asian today or something like, it's just that's where I'll be hard on myself. And that's why I didn't get that role or something. And it, You know, it's our industry is again, totally ridiculous. So there's a number of reasons why people are and aren't cast in projects. Right. Like it's just nuts, but that's where some of that old stuff will come up for me.
2: Yeah. I understand that
1: where it's like, okay, there's still some things to look at here, but for the most part on the day to day, I wasn't out of my industry yeah, I've grown really proud to be who I am. As opposed to, I think, in the past when I saw being mixed and being this unique blend and not really knowing where I, quote unquote, fit, I I saw that as almost like a weakness or something I had to like overcome and, and again to be like, then belong therefore belong and be accepted by society. Now I'm just like, no, this cool space that I'm sitting in is like, it's actually strength.
2: What do you think we all can do to help representation in the media, whether you're in this business or not, oh, what can everyone do to help representation in the media? Oh,
1: girl, you you knew we were going to get into this. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, certainly, certainly having conversations like this one, but like everybody having conversations like this one, um, it's really interesting to see. I have a number of of friends in the industry who are people of color, who identify as people of color, and it's so easy for us to have these conversations. But it's very interesting when I pull up a chair to have a conversation about diversity and lack of representation in the industry with a white actor friend or, you know, just to see... And Ashley. (laughs) Exactly. And Ashley. It's just a different experience. Yeah. so again, first and foremost, I think definitely having more of these kinds of conversations. I don't know if this is going to gonna answer this for you, but um, also just when I think of shows like television and film that's being made. We got to change like who's behind the scenes first, I think, you know, it's like. Who's who's writing, who's producing, who's directing, and giving them a, a place at the table. I was thinking actually about this a lot the other day, because I have a director friend in LA and she's Asian American. She's like working her butt off and and she's getting stuff done and, and she's you know, making a lot of moves, but to see how much harder it is for her, both a, a person of color and a woman, but to to get her products. That's part
2: two. You're coming back for that, right? (laughs) You're coming back for that? Yeah, that's part two. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, she's just hustling so hard and getting her stuff made and it's incredible. But that's the thing too, is like so much talent. Again, I know the industry is making some steps, but we've got such a long way to go.
2: It's unbelievable that like between Joy Luck Club and like Crazy Rich Asians, it's been like 20, 25 years between those two films. I know, You know, I'm sort of reflecting on a lot of different things as we're talking. What very little Asian faces that I saw growing up, if I saw any at all, it was like very sparse and maybe like the Asian person was the butt of the joke.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, you talked about drawing strength and I love that you said you're, you're reprogramming yourself. For someone who's still struggling, what do you find that's helpful that could help reprogram that you're doing yourself?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> my first answer was like, meditate. But I know that's not, I know that's not for everyone. And that's totally fine.
2: I've had six shots of espresso. So there's no way that I'm
1: going to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. It's done wonders for me, but it's not for everyone. I would say and, and something that's really good, though, is and it can, uh, it can be hard, but it can be. I think it's possible. Is seeking out examples, something I didn't do as a kid, and so that I also again found it hard to. Like I, I wasn't seeing myself represented. But now we can maybe have a better chance at seeking out people who can reflect back to us. Like so, we, we where we can see ourselves represented and kind of surround yourself with that, so you know that. I want to say you're not alone.
2: Yeah. You have allies, a community.
1: Yeah. And you know what? They don't even have to be people you personally know. It can be the cast of Crazy Rich Asians. It can be just like the fact, you know, like that that movie was so expansive for me.
2: Me too. Me too.
1: Like bonkers. I just remember like every time I watched it, I just bawl my eyes at it the entire time. And the first two times I watched it, both two times, I was just sitting there like on the edge of my seat, just waiting for an Ashley to come in and, like, wheel the show. I was like, she's going to come in any minute and just, like, take the scene away from Constance Wu. And I was like, no, like, this is this is a story about this Asian woman. I was like, what? That's unheard of. It was, like, crazy. So I think, yeah, maybe something that people can do is to help them is, is find these expanders to, yeah, make you feel like you said, like, that you have, like, allies, that there's support, that you are part of the community. And whether that's in your direct personal life or, like, They could be famous people. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. Yeah. Make them a part of your imaginary community, you know?
2: Finding some sense of community is so important. And I think it can help ground you. I know you're taking care of yourself in terms of your own sort of personal growth, which is great. But I know that you're also sort of taking care of yourself physically in terms of the holistic approach of health. And I love what you said earlier that the Eastern medicine is something that you're sort of tapping into. Can you talk a little bit about your interest and what got you into the whole holistic wellness and why that's important to kind of reach back and, and how that also connects you?
1: Yeah. So I got into holistic nutrition primarily for personal reasons, as, as do so many people, as I learned in my program that I, where I studied. For me, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called lupus um, when I was like 13, 14. And when I was first diagnosed, doctors didn't really tell me much. They just put me on like a really powerful steroid to help alleviate my symptoms. And my symptoms that I was experiencing at the time were like severe joint pain. Like I was I was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, but severe joint pain. And then I also had like lesions all over my body. So basically just a ton of inflammation in my body. And so they put me on this powerful steroid to help alleviate the symptoms. And I have to take this every single day. And one of the side effects of this this steroid was that um, I could lose my eyesight. (laughs) It seemed like a really horrible payoff, but okay. Um, So every, I believe it was quarterly, I had to go to like an eye specialist to check my eyes, but I wasn't losing my eyesight. And so this was like in my like, yeah, like early to mid-teens. What? I was on the (laughs) medication. What What is
2: happening right now?
1: Rest assured, I still have perfect vision now.
2: That's good.
1: You know, maybe if I'd stayed on the medication. So I don't know, maybe like four-ish years, which is still really long for like a steroid. That's a
2: long time.
1: Yeah. This is like, it's it's not good for your like anything microbiome. All the things, yeah. And so I mostly just out of like, laziness, I was just like, I don't want to take this like pill every day. I was like, again, I was like young. So I was just like, this is ridiculous. So I don't recommend this. You're not supposed to. do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, we do not recommend this. Please do not do this on your own. Please check with your doctor. But Genevieve, what did you do?
1: I just started researching on my own because again, the doctors didn't provide us with very much additional information about like what lupus is. Also, I will add that a lot of, even in the medical community community, it's lupus is still this like, yeah, kind of confusing condition. Right. Um, and so they, they aren't, you know, definitive on certain aspects of it. So but basically, I just started researching ways that I could alleviate my symptoms, ultimately bring down inflammation in my body naturally. So just using diet and lifestyle. It was a very, very gradual process. I, you know, had a pretty ordinary upbringing in terms of food and nutrition. Like my parents, we, we ate mostly home-cooked meals, but my mom also bought us like pizza pockets and we'd pop those in the microwave. Right. Like I, it was a very ordinary upbringing. So I, by no means was like super healthy, born with a green smoothie in my hand. And so <laughs> to kind of gradually change my diet over time, it was, yeah, it was a very gradual process. And then that led to like, in my mid twenties, I I did a master's in communications and I had finished that. I was pursuing acting on the side, but it wasn't a full-time thing yet. And so I was working some odd jobs. Gosh, so many, so many random jobs. And I wanted to do something that would still allow me flexibility to go to auditions for acting because I wanted to pursue that still. But I wanted something that I would like enjoy. You know what? I'm going to go to school and become a holistic nutritionist. And so I did. And I learned so much, again, just for my own personal um, well-being, and it was so fantastic. And then I ended up, I had my own business for a few years, and it was then at the end of that kind of when I transitioned to acting full-time. It's very interesting, and just as a little side note, actually, with lupus. So lupus is, for those who don't know it, it's basically where the immune system is and I guess this is a lot of autoimmune conditions, but basically, where the, the immune system is hyperactive, and what happens when it's hyperactive, it's obviously not functioning how it should, and it can essentially your immune system can then start to attack not just foreign invaders in the body as it should, but also
2: the good stuff,
1: health, healthy tissue. Yeah, and so again, lupus can like affect different organ systems, and what it's different for everybody. It's really fascinating in terms of if you translate what an autoimmune condition, you translate into kind of what it means energetically or even spiritually, it's essentially revolting on oneself, going against yourself and rejecting yourself. I find it really fascinating as a metaphor, I suppose, but like just at that time in my life, again, I was like 13, 14 when I was diagnosed and it just was like, in a sense, a huge wake-up call. And I honestly see it as a gift. I also to say that I I have been living virtually symptom-free off of the medication for the past 15 plus Good. years. That's amazing. I should tell people that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. But yeah, and just how it was kind of like this childhood of growing up in, I keep using this word, rejecting myself, but, but in so many ways, not accepting myself, certainly. And here I was then, all of a sudden, I've got this autoimmune condition, which again, like this has a second meaning of, well, it's literally like you're against yourself. I find fascinating.
2: In many ways, the first sort of part of your life, there was a, again, I'm not going to say rejection because I think that's too hard of a word. Yeah. It's just your your basic human want to to fit in and to have and to be validated. Mm-hmm. That's something that everybody wants. Mm -hmm. You know, when you are presented with a path that presents more opportunities, why wouldn't you want that? What's your one piece of advice that you'd have for somebody to take care of their whole being?
1: Oh, I think something really simple is just for us to literally just check in with ourselves each day and ask ourselves how we're doing. Also going back to that concept of like parenting ourselves. Um, I know that may sound silly to some, but that's re- really served me to just like almost treat myself like like I am my child as well. yeah, like, I think too, a lot of us, especially notice this with my female friends, we just like give so much. We're just like natural like nurturers, right? And we right. just want like take care of take care of the dog, take care of our children, take care of our, our partners. But doing that for yourself first
2: that's it's so hard. I don't know what it's it is about so that.
1: hard. It's really hard, but i I I want to say, I, I think I can say confidently that if you do like, like a lot of things, just keep practicing it. It's like, Don't have a, an expectation though around it. And I guess maybe personalize it. Make, it, make it what it is for you.
2: I think that's really, really great advice. It's easier said than done, but it's really, yeah. <laughs> really good advice. Will you come back and do another episode in the future?
1: I would love to. I feel like we have so much to talk about. <laughs> I really
2: respect the work that you're doing to have the most authentic life, I think self-love and acceptance, it can be incredibly hard. And that's another conversation that you'll come back for. What are we in? Part five at this point? I don't know. Where, where are we? We need,
1: a whole, we need a whole other podcast. Yeah. it's <laughs> Evelyn and Genevieve.
2: It's the Genevieve and Evelyn show. Going back to that girl named Ashley in soccer and where you are now, <laughs> what would you want to say to her? <laughs> Because you're doing very well, Genevieve. Wow. What would you want to say to Ashley?
1: It's crazy that I've never thought of this. Um, you know why I've never thought of it? Because the way when that memory comes up too for me, and it's interesting. So this has come up in my meditations and when I'm doing these repro- reprogramming scenarios, mm-hmm. it's less to do with what I would say to her and more to do with what I would say to myself. Okay. What would that be? Oh, I, like, you are so cool, girl. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, yeah, that inner child of me, that's what she wanted to hear then for sure. Just like, oh, no, you were like, everything you are is enough. You're not missing anything.
2: That's awesome. All right. So listen, Genevieve, I definitely want to keep you and you're going to come back for 8 five, six, seven, eight, we're going to do a whole new podcast together. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a signature sign-off. Will you let me know who you are and what you represent?
1: My name is Genevieve King, and I represent change. Thank
2: you, Genevieve, for your time and insight. Your strength and honesty brings light. So thank you for all that you've shared. Be sure to check out Genevieve on Lock and Key on Netflix. And above all, keep up with her and her work on social media. I'll have those links in the episode description, so it will be really easy for you to just click and follow. Next up is Russell Hornsby from NBC's hit show Grimm and the movie The Hate U Give. I
1: had a religion teacher named Mr. Harper, Blackman. And we used to walk around, they still to wear those t-shirts that say, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. And he had this raspy voice, almost like a Danny Glover. And he would say, uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, it's not, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. It's supposed to be, it's a black thing, let me help you understand. Hi, I'm Russell Hornsby, stand up and represent.
2: And I have been crazy lucky to have amazing guests like David Harewood from Supergirl and Homeland, to AJ Mendez, a champion wrestler, author, and mental health advocate, to daytime icons like Mary Beth Evans, Kimberly McCullough, Nancy Lee Gran, to Danny Pino from Law & SVU and Mayans MC. So get those and all the other episodes on your devices because every episode is available for download. And don't forget to subscribe and share and leave a review wherever you're listening. Thank you always to my team, Nelson Panero and Gracie Kong, who helped me bring this show to you. Reppin' is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Be safe and well, and be kind. Until next time, stand up and represent.